And welcome back to the podcast, Everything You Never Needed to Know About Movies, Music, and Theater. I am Matt, of course, your, your uh, host. And um, please excuse my voice. I've been sick for a couple of nights. Um, this is the best you're going to get right now. This is after probably three things of coffee, 12 things of water, and I do have a cough drop in my mouth, so please pardon me. But thankfully, you don't have to listen to my terrible voice for the next uh, uh, hour or so. You have a special guest star. Because I've been enjoying these special guests and, and what have you, it would be foolish to the fact that I wouldn't have someone on. And uh, specifically, this uh, the, um, my friend who's coming on today is... Uh, been a huge support of the podcast, huge uh, contributor to the podcast, and it's a, and definitely a lot of fun. And specifically for this topic, please welcome Amelia Smith. Hi, thanks so much <laughs> for having me back. You you are now officially tied with Jackie um, for three and three. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jackie and I talked about uh, a topic that I was not familiar with last time of Hades Town and through the whole getting prepared, um, I am now obsessed with Town. I can't stop listening to it. So, <laughs> <laughs> although I probably have a different um, thought process of y'all, y'all, I actually prefer the um, original, original cast with Chris Sullivan as um, Hermes as opposed to Andre DeShield. Um, just as long as we got you into it. I know it was not love at first listen, but I'm glad you gave it another chance. I think I think um, I didn't do it correctly. I with those kinds of shows, I like to listen to the concept album if there is one that exists and see the progression through. So I heard I listened to uh, uh, Annis's Mitchell Mitchell's um, uh, concept album, then I listened to the live one with um, Chris Sullivan, and then I listened to the Broadway one, and I can see the progression. I can see the lyric changes. I'm still I I don't like Andre DeShield's voice. It's just nails on a chalkboard for me, and I don't care for Reeve Carney. Other than that, it's okay, not bad. <laughs> but um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're going to talk about something else. But first of all, um, I had Jackie on uh, last time, uh, once again talking about uh, Profit Project, and Amelia, you were part of that as well. So uh, Jackie mentioned how well the response, the 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 reception and the response was to that as well as the the talk back so how i wanted to hear from you also um how did that show go back um when you did the youtube show the youtube uh live viewing and then the talk back afterwards it went about as well as um we could have hoped i mean we'd never done anything like this before of a lot of theater companies right now are doing things that they've never done before and since this was really new territory for us, um, I think I, it went very well considering all of that. Um, mm. You know, not, not a huge viewership, but pretty decent for an online show that's kind of a hipster show from a very small company. I thought the viewership was pretty good. I was in, I was in there obviously watching the show and yeah. I, loved, I loved it. Um, wonderful, wonderful show and wonderful with the cast, obviously I, I talked to Jackie and she did an amazing job, but you as she well, did. you, you and, and, and Kenny did wonderful, wonderful job. Um, so, and that is still, that is still available on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken, right? For two more days. Um, okay. We've got 
tomorrow and Saturday is the last day that's going to be available on YouTube. After that, it can be booked as part of the virtual performance package. But if you want to catch it for free, it'll be <laughs> this weekend. All right. So make sure you check that out on YouTube at the Still Small uh, Theater. Theater spelled T-H-E-A-R-T-R-E. -E, YouTube um, um, troupe uh, uh, channel. Um, and check it out. This is the last weekend to see it. Um, after that, um, on the website, stillsmalltheater.com, you can, you can check out how you can book it if you are interested. Um, but I just wanted you to, um, again, push that because that, that was such a wonderful, wonderful show. I, I can't, I can't talk about how, how much that show was, 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 it was amazing. I, I have no words for it. That's how good Thank it was. You. That <laughs> really means a lot. And I, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure Jasmine appreciates it too. Yeah, uh, well, and hearing, I think hearing from it. So if anyone wants to listen to that episode, I interviewed Jasmine, the CEO and founder of Still Small Theater, and she goes through and explains the whole thing. So you can see, if you listen to that interview and watch the show, you can see the thought process and how much of a full circle it seems to be for the company and everything that uh, seemingly uh, Jasmine and, and everyone a part of it has gone through with with all the shows and building on one show after another so um, Jasmine was hesitant to kind of agree with that but she did say it, it, it does feel like the end of a specific chapter of of what they learned and now going on to the next what they're going to what you guys are going to grow next so it's I'm very excited to see what happens next not only as a as a spectator but also being a part of it um, but anyway <clears throat> We are here to talk about something very exciting that Millie and I are both very excited to talk about. And I have to thank Jackie again for suggesting it. Why I didn't even think of it is, is beyond me, but um, let's get to it. We are talking about prepare ye the way of the Lord. I completely did it. I... <laughs> The last um, Hades Town, I did the opening, uh, the 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 beginning Road to Hell, and I, I I'm starting to feel like for the musicals now, I definitely want to put some kind of musicality into it. So, um, I was hoping you were going to join in, but it's okay. Well, I would, but Zoom is weird, and it would have been out of sync and sounded terrible. So, terrible on my part, but that's okay. Um, but anyway, no, we're talking not because of you. <laughs> but anyway, we are talking about Godspell. And it's a very interesting topic for those who do not know about it. Um, it is a, they call it a rock musical. It's a musical that was written by Stephen Schwartz, um, who will come up again on another episode of the podcast as well. One of my heroes, one of my favorite composers and lyricists for theater and also for film, because we will talk about his work in film as well. And the book was done by John Michael uh, Telebeck, I think is how you say his, his um, last name. Um, so, Amelia, to start things off, um, what is your feelings and thoughts about Godspell, just in general? I love Godspell. Um, it, it's funny. Um, I was thinking earlier today about sort of how I first came to the show, and I'll keep it short, I promise. Oh, um, you're fine. Keep but, say as you know, much as you want. My parents were part of, they were growing up, or I think in their teens when Godspell came out, and it was really, really popular when it first 
came out and um you know they both loved the music my mom played bass in her high school's production and oh, um, nice. so when I was getting into musical theater as a young teenager, um, my parents were like, oh, you have to listen to Godspell, it's a great show. And I was listening to it with my dad and I was like, dad, this just sounds like a bunch of worship songs. Like, what's the story? And he tried to explain it to me and he was just kind of like, um, well, it's uh, kind of hard to describe. And, uh, and my mom tried as well. And like, neither of them could tell me like this, this is what the story of Godspell is. But yeah. then there was a, a high school production that was not at my high school. A couple of other people that I knew were in it um, at another school and my dad took me to see it. And suddenly it made sense. Like if somebody asked me to summarize the plot of Godspell, I still don't think I could. But when you see it, it's like, oh, yeah. That's what it's about. It's just this, um, you know, the the feeling that I get every single time I see the show, um, every production I've seen, even the bad ones, it, there's this sense of joy and yeah. love and hopefulness of all these different people putting aside their differences and coming together and experiencing these stories in this um, playful, childlike way. It's it, there's just something very beautiful and hopeful about the show that speaks to me every time. Yeah. Well, and that and that definitely makes sense. So um, the Wikipedia page uh, in how they describe it is it's a musical structure as a series of parables, primarily based on the Gospel of Matthew. However, he does take from um, Mark and Luke, I, I believe, um, in certain um, circumstances. And the parables are interspersed with music set to, to lyrics from traditional hymns, um, and then with the Passion of the Christ appearing at the very um, end of the show. The interesting thing about the show for me is I actually discovered Jesus Christ Superstar before I discovered Godspell. So I already kind of, well, and I'm, a, I'm Catholic, so I grew up with the, the stations of the cross, the stories of the parables and what have you. So when I heard Jesus Christ Superstar, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. All right. You know, and then someone told me, well, you should have heard Godspell. I said, I've never heard of that. So I bought the album and I listened to it through and I was like, this is, this is actually, I actually like this better than Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar has a very uh, close place in my heart, very, very specific place in my heart. But Godspell, it spoke to me as well as a, as a young adolescent. And then I did it when I was in high school. Um, it, was, it was an okay production. I mean, it ended up being that a group of us ended up becoming really, really close friends to the point where we were like calling each other brother and sister and all that stuff. Like we were really 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 close and we did a bunch of stuff together i mean i remember getting off topic for a second but i remember one time before rehearsal myself and three other guys started singing bohemian rhapsody on stage just because <laughs> why not <laughs> and i don't know if someone filmed it i wish someone had done it but we just kept going on and on you know galileo galileo yeah, you know and all that's that. what happens with godspell i feel like really close-knit relationships tend to come out of the show because of the kind of show that it is you form really yeah. close relationships with your castmates yeah and i have to credit godspell and i'll get into this more when we start talking about it 
I have to credit Godspell with actually starting my professional career as a director in, in theater. Um, I had, I was struggling because it, unfortunately in our community theater or in most theaters, in most community theaters and most professional theaters, theaters want the director to have experience to be able to direct, but you can't get experience if you don't direct. So it's a catch 22. So what ended up happening is I ended up creating my own thing, creating my own bit. And it was a question on, well, what do we do? And I and instantly I thought, thought Godspell. And initially I was like, I want to do Godspell because we're doing it in a Methodist church. It's a known thing. It's popular. People will come to it. But then as I got more and more into the, 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 the show, the, the structure, how I, I visioned it, my vision, I realized I had more to say about Godspell than I anticipated. And a lot of personal stuff ended up coming out and in through the show, which people who saw it could see that this was a passion. And to the point now where I've, I've openly said, I will probably never direct Godspell again. I've said my, my, my piece on it. I don't really want to go back into that, but it's a show that really puts a place in my heart, but it's, um, so, and, and funny enough, Godspell was also the beginning of my friendship with Amelia. Um, we were talking back and forth. I had auditioned for her for a musical and I pulled out because I was doing Godspell and I said, I want to focus on this. And then I asked her if she would, could be in it, but she had a show that, that at that time. So, but that began us talking back and forth about, oh, you like Godspell, I like Godspell. Oh, let's talk, you know, and chatting back and forth. So it was really the beginning where we began to have have a friendship and then it just bloomed when we did Twelfth Night. So, you know, Godspell gave me a lot of stuff right there. So, but anyway, let's get into the specifics. I want to go through the history really quickly because I really want to talk about the show itself and your feelings on it, Amelia, and obviously mine as well. So, so Godspell started its, its life as a master thesis by John Michael uh, Telebeck. It, he was uh, going to Carnegie Mellon University and he had to do a thesis. And he f decided he wanted to do it based, he wanted to string all these parables together and just do this very experimental show, like with no form, no structure, just let's put it all on stage and let's see what it is. And funny enough, a lot of the actors who were in that original Carnegie Mellon production ended up doing the show and became known for doing the show. People like Robert, uh, Robin La uh, Lamott and uh, Sonia uh, Manzo and uh, David Haskell. These are people who were with the show pretty much from the very, very beginning of it and became known for it. Um, so the original show was performed in 1970 and then uh, the show had was given attention to the producer, Edgar Lansbury, who is the brother of Angela Lansbury. Fun fact, you didn't know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I didn't make that connection. <laughs> I didn't either. I actually had to look it up. I had to look his bio up. But um, they, in one of those kind of, it never happens in real life, but it did happen in this real life. They signed it during intermission and said, we want to bring it to off-Broadway. So their intention was they brought it off-Broadway, but they thought instantly it needs to have a little bit more form, a little bit more shape, and it needs to have some real songs. At the time, it was kind of folk songs that the cast had put together and kind of written, but there was no 
everything, the lyrics changed from night to night. So there wasn't really any kind of like specifics to it. So um, our man, Stephen Schwartz was brought in. Now, Stephen Schwartz at the time was only known for one song, which was Butterflies Are Free, which was from a move, um, a play, Butterflies Are Free. So that was the only thing he was known for. And he was known for also being like a kind of producer of, of records and, and that type of thing. But he wasn't really known as a composer lyricist for, for theater, but that's what he wanted to do. He always wanted to do that. So they brought him in and he met with John Michael and they refocused the show. And the first thing, um, Stephen Schwartz said is he says, I'm not, the lyrics are already written. It's all in the gospel. So the only thing I'm going to do is write new lyrics if need be. So a lot of the stuff that he added was more new lyrics. And I think there's a book out there that you can get if you're interested in what lyrics he added and what were originally from um, the gospel and the parables. Um, but anyway, they, they opened it in, um, in uh, let's see, they opened it at the uh, 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 Mark, Tapper Forum in LA, and they then moved it to uh, La Bont in uh, Pomenade, and then it went to um, Off-Broadway. And that's when it got a huge bit of praise and, and everyone, there was very few people who, who didn't like the show because they, were, they enjoyed the energy. And, and let's put it this way, it was that times in the Heights with just that much energy falling off the stage. It was very energetic and, and what have you. So, and looking at the list, it's gone pretty much everywhere. It's gone to, Mel to Melbourne, it's gone to London, DC, Toronto. Um, it was, on, you know, it did eventually go to Broadway. Um, it's had a bunch of reviews. It's known as the, the show for amateur and, you know, community theaters. I mean, every community theater has pretty much done a version of it. Um, so with, a, with that little bit of history out of the way, and I'll talk, we'll talk about other productions that, like, we, like I said, we've seen, we've been in, and we'll, we will talk about the movie in a little bit. But Amelia, what's your favorite song? I know you always ask that question. It's hard to pick. Um, I think in the context of the show, depending on the production, there are different songs that stand out, but my favorite's just listening to it. Um, it's a three-way tie between Day by Day, Bless the Lord, and All for the Best. All for the best might be slightly pulling ahead because it's just such a fun song to listen to. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of vaudeville soft shoe kind of song, right? Yes. Um, I like Prepare Ye. I've always loved that song. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do like... Um, I do like All for the Best, but I think my favorites are... Prepare ye, we beseech thee, um, on the willows and um, the finale. I love all of this too. I love like, <coughs> yeah. all the songs. <clears throat> surprising enough, excuse me, surprising enough, I do actually like Tower of Babel. I really like that song. Um, so looking at it, I mean, the, the, the one song that's, that is the what you consider the hit is day by day. 
that's the one everyone knows from Godspell. And that's, Stephen Schwartz says, because it's the easiest thing to remember and to sing along to. And that's probably the case. I mean, he was a record producer too. So he knew kind of what people were into. But, um, so for those who haven't seen it, the show begins with a voiceover of God um, talking about his garden. It's all from Ma um, the Gospel of Matthew, I believe, and sets everything up. And what begins is a bunch of philosophers basically explaining their what their philosophy is and what they believe in terms of God and God of uh, and um, his residence and all that. And that's the Tower of Babel. So. A lot of times it ends up being that this, this song is interpreted in different ways. So in the versions that you've seen, Amelia, how is this particular interpreted? Because the way it was originally done, from my understanding, is that it was people with philosopher masks on and kind of like running around and kind of, you know, the, the philosophy was put to music and it all kind of culminated with counterpoints and culminated in this big, ah, uh, when you saw it, and if you want, you can also talk about when you directed, what was, was it similar to that or was there a different way you, it was executed? Um, I've actually seen a few different interpretations of that. I've seen some that were, I think, fairly standard some productions where you know I think the first time I saw it the cast all had white t-shirts with their different philosopher names on them and then they added because they had a bigger cast I think they had like three or four extra people they added a couple different philosopher characters and they didn't have sung lines they just gave them a couple like quotes um I've seen a couple productions that did that um so one that I directed, um, so it was an outdoor production and it was in a public square. So we had the cast kind of scattered around. Um, some of them were amongst the audience and some were just chilling on the steps of the building that was like the backdrop of our stage. And um, so it was just like everyday people stating their life philosophies or whatever okay. philosophies um, people subscribe to. I, I saw another production where I don't think they did Tower of Babel at all. It started with like a, some kind of movement sequence that was set to music, but there were no words. It was just a bunch of people like running around and um, doing sort of viewpoint stuff where they're like walking in different patterns and crisscrossing each other and then um, getting more and more frantic. And there were um, like, that production was, it had some like, part of the concept for that one was like um, the ways that technology influences us and pulls oh. us apart. So instead of having, people like talking they had people just like walking around i think some of them were on phones and it was just this cacophonous soundscape of different ringtones and uh tech noises and then 
John the Baptist came in with a remote and pressed it and silenced all the noise and everyone froze. And then he's like, <laughs> so that's definitely like going off script a bit there. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what about what's, how did you start the show when you directed it? So, well, first of all, the version I did in high school, the kids were in the audience like you could tell that they were you know it was one of those i don't know if you've ever seen the snl the saturday night live um if you haven't seen it i'll send it to you but there's a skit where they do high school experimental theater productions and it's exactly as preposterous and presumptuous as you would think it's ridiculous it's like two parents are sitting there and there's a guy sitting next to him in all black, and they're like, you're in the show, aren't you? No, I'm just a regular audience member. It's like, oh, you're in the show. This is going to suck, you know? And it, it makes fun of all the stuff that the, the high school kids sometimes think is revolutionary or whatever. Um, but when we did it in high school, the kids were all in their uniforms and came up on their cell phones and what have you. They're um, possible. So they were in their uniforms and such. And when I did it, I took it as if they are politicians and bloggers. So they all had either their pajamas on or they had a suit on. Um, so yeah, they had their suits on and they were, and I had them either typing like this with their cell phones or on the phones or writing stuff down or walking around. I tried to not let them get too into the audience just because I hate, uh, I personally don't think that that's, I didn't want to do that as my first um, gig. So that's why I didn't do it the, that way. So I, uh, I did it a different way um, when I directed it, but it was that the idea that they all the all all this you know white noise and everything was coming at the audience and all this stuff was happening and what have you and then in so amelia you saw the um theater that we did it in because amelia grac uh, graciously enough was all in the um in the um i want to call it the reunion but it was the uh um the musical director of that church who helped me who was my musical director um, was leaving. And so we said a farewell using the songs. But basically, John the Baptist showed up in the rafters on the second floor up there singing Prepare Ye. Um, and then came down. And what happened is they, all the actors left and went off stage. She comes down the aisle singing Prepare Ye, trying to get the audience into it. And we didn't really have theater lights so I had a lot of the actors being like, we've never been able to, we've never been able to see the audience as much as we're seeing them now. So this is trippy. And I said, get used to it. This is how we're doing it. They come back on in <laughs> jeans and a teen Jesus shirt that we found for them. And they came in and they all got baptized one at a time saying, and then, and then, and then left. So, so I kind of took that idea of, bloggers and and what have you and white noise and and just added it to it so then john the baptist comes in sings prepare ye baptizes everyone and then he starts talking about what his premonition is which is really true he said you know you vipers brood you 
you know, you did this, you did that and all this stuff. And then Jesus appears. Um, the way I did it when Jesus appeared is, um, I think, you know, Richie de Jesus, he was my Jesus, which I'll talk about in a minute on how he got cast, but he is behind a curtain in the back, like where the organ is. And he just looks up and goes, and he does a lot of like behind the scenes, like laughter, funny stuff. Like, cause, cause um, one of John the Baptist uh, lines is, uh, why, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? They're laughing at him. That's why. And then he comes on and says, I'm ready to get, get baptized. And, you know, she does the whole thing and baptizes him. And then he starts singing, um, um, uh, uh, Save the People, which is another favorite song of mine. Yeah, um, in, in high school, the guy comes in shirtless which was gratuitous because the guy actually, he was a good looking guy and he was well, you know, whatever, but he, they just did it because they, when he came in, all the girls in the audience were like, oh, 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 oh my God, these are high schoolers. So they all went through puberty looking at him. So, um, so that's how they did it, but you know, what have you. So um, how did you introduce Jesus when he came, when he came on? Um, kind of similarly, I had Jesus come in during John's uh, monologue and it like you were saying is so fun to see how Jesus responds to hearing that because John is like so dedicated to doing what he thinks Jesus wants and um, he's very sincere about it but the way that he's preaching the message is just so different from like when Jesus comes in I think Jesus is not the kind of person John was expecting um, and um, in the production I directed, John was a man and Jesus was a woman. So already we're flipping everybody's expectations. Um, and I had Jesus come in with a like laundry basket um, because there was a laundromat across the street. So it kind of looks at first like, oh, it's just this person. Like, are they part of the show? Are they not? Um, but it was full of all the props and costume pieces, which would be um, put on by the other actors during Save the People, like she comes in and it turns out, oh, she is, she's not here by accident. She's part of this. And like, it's sort of like Mary Poppins with the bag of uh, surprises, like starts the, the... giving things to people and just making everything fun. And um, there's a fun little moment during the so John had a bucket of water that he had kind of sprinkled on everybody during a prepare ye, but then during Save the People, Jesus gets baptized during the first verse of that song, um, often, not always, but often. And so we had him take a little bit more time with that. And, you know, she's singing and he's carefully like wiping her, her feet and her hands, or not her feet, but like her ankles and her arms. Um, she was not shirtless. <laughs> She was wearing a tank top. Um, but then at the end of that verse, like as she's going, God save the people. Um, he takes the water that's left in the bucket and like stands behind her and just pours the whole thing over her head. And so it came out like, God save the people. <laughs> and it was adorable and hilarious. Um, this was Jasmine playing Jesus, who was on was your gonna... podcast a few episodes ago and then um still small's other co-founder eli was yeah. john the baptist so they've had a history they have a friendship that goes back years and they 
played off of each other. I, I think the dumping water over her head was Eli's idea, actually. Sounds sounds about right. But I was I was gonna say we should say Jasmine and Eli were were the two two characters. Um, yeah. So and so, um, so let me ask while we're here. Um, obviously, Jasmine. We we both know Jasmine. We're both you know in awe of what Jasmine can do and what has and what she has and what she has created. Beyond that, what was it that she emulated as emulated as a um, actor actress rather that made you say this is my Jesus this is who should play the Jesus in my vision of Godspell. Um, I think it really just had a lot to do with who Jasmine is as a person. She is. She and I worked together in Salem for several years, and um, while we were working together doing a, a different show, I was developing this concept in my head for a production of Godspell to take place in like the specific area of Salem while we were working. And I would see Jasmine, like before work, she would go walking around downtown praying for the city. She would like sit down, um, she would like regularly buy lunch for homeless people during her lunch break and like sit down and talk with them and she's just such a compassionate and giving person and her love for the city made me think like you know she has this love for this place and all of the people in it that I really want um Jesus to embody in this or that I want to see embodied in Jesus in this production um, and she also is a total goofball. Like, y you wouldn't think of it when she's in her serious director mode, but when she is not the director, um, and even sometimes when she is, she loves to goof around, and she can bring, I think, both the, the fun playfulness that Jesus has in Godspell, um, and also bring out the, the deeper emotions in the role um, that have been missing from a couple of productions I've seen. It's really hard to find somebody who can balance both the playfulness and the, the goofiness yeah. and also like the weight of, you know, caring so much for all these people and having it hit so hard when they mess up yeah. um, and loving them enough to die for them. Like that's, it's a really hard emotion to portray as an actor. That's, that's a lot of really heavy stuff. That's like Shakespearean scope yeah. there. Plus you have to be a total goofball with the very, yeah. this very serious side. And like, <coughs> it, it's very rare, I think, to find an actor who can do both well, but Jasmine has it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree with you on that. So with my Jesus, I was, try I was actually really excited that a lot of people who auditioned for me were women because I was really at the time really wanted to make, and this is pre, this is maybe a year or two before the Me Too movement happened. So I really, but I really wanted it to be a woman empowering atmosphere. And, you know, I, I my, my producer was a woman, my executive producer was a woman, my musical director was a woman, and my wife was in there too. Um, was she my wife at the time? I think she was. I think we had just been married. But we were, um, 
we were putting this whole show together and I really wanted there to be a woman Jesus and a woman Judas. I was really excited about that. And um, the actress I hired, you know, I'm not going to say her name. She knows who she is, but I'm not going to say her name. I'll tell you off offline, but it's, uh, she came on and um, she auditioned and she was great. I thought she was wonderful. And she had a, she had a comedian's, background so I knew she could do the funny I knew she could do the goofy I figured it would be a little bit tricky to get her to do the serious stuff but I thought we can work on it and push it through um but she was very she really wanted to play um um Sonia she really wanted to sing Turn Back Old Man she thought that was more of her realm and the woman I had already had in mind for Turn Back Old Man there was no stopping her I was like oh my god that's who it is you know so she it ended up being that she really didn't feel comfortable. And I, I said, that's totally fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. And in person, because we had this conversation one-on-one, -on -one, I was very much like, it's okay. We'll figure it out. It's totally fine. Uh, uh, give me the script and uh, um, good luck. And we'll see each other again at some point. Inside, I'm going, oh, oh no, we don't have Jesus. We don't have Jesus. We don't have Jesus. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And... I'm sitting in the in the the sanctuary and I said we just lost Jesus. And so we're sitting there and I'm like, oh God, oh God, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? I'm I'm freaking out. And Amelia knows that she, she's seen me like this when I'm like, you know, off the top. So I'm like, oh freaking, freaking out. And um the the pastor who who was there, she said to me, pray. And at the time, I was still kind of fighting this kind of like, you know, that prayer works. I now obviously know prayer works, but at the time, I, my faith was still a little sh on shaky ground at the, at the time. So I said, fine. So I went home and I did pray and I said, oh, find me a Jesus, find me a good Jesus. The next day, one of the cast members who is a producer in a, with a theater in Melrose called me and said, I found a guy he can do it. I think he can sing and he's going to contact you. I said, okay, what's his name? Richie de Jesus. And when I heard that, I was literally just like, I give up. Okay, God, you really want this production to happen somehow? You find not only a kid who can do it, but you find a kid who's called Jesus in his name. And I'm just like, yeah, that's too perfect to be a coincidence. <laughs> it's it was way too perfect, and I was just like, I can't, I can't fight this. So, so, and Richie ended up being brilliant in the role, and he played well, and he knew the girl who's uh, Jacqueline London, who was playing Judas, and it was an interesting dynamic because you were talking about how Jesus, the goofball, but also Jesus is caring and all that, and that's the same thing I had with with Richie. I didn't know Richie at the time, but I found out that he was a great showman. He could do the part very well and he was goofball, but he was also incredibly, incredibly caring. Like there was a point where I looked exhausted and came over and said, hey man, you all right? What's going on? You okay? And I was like, this is Jesus. This is totally Jesus. And how I was having Jacqueline portray Judas was completely different. I said, I want you to be the polar opposite. You are the revolutionary one. You want revolution. You want change in, in the government. You want things to change now and Jesus is doing all this silly things so you're kind of playing along with it but at the same time you're like we need something to really happen we need to make a mark we need to 
do this. And, then, and Judas ended up being a really complex character, which I was really excited about. And the fact that she brought that to the, to the piece and she kept asking me all these questions and I loved it because I was like, this is exactly what I want. So it, it, it was very interesting how, how all that ended up coming to be. Um, so we, go ahead, what were you going to say? I'm sorry, I was just going to ask if you wanted to say anything about the fact that Godspell combines the characters of John the Baptist and Judas. Like, I was really thrown off by that the first time I saw the show, but I think it, in the context of the show, it works really well. In the, in the context of the show, it worked incredibly well. And I remember Jacqueline was asking me about that. Um, but actually, I should take that back. I actually had Judas play just Judas. John the Baptist was actually played by the, the woman who ended up being Robin. Oh, which is that how, works too. Which actually worked out perfectly because I felt Robin is kind of the Peter of the group. is like Jesus's best friend and kind of is able to do things. So, you know, I said to the woman who, uh, who uh, called Carol, who was playing John the Baptist, we were talking about, it, and I said, I really want you to be a Southern Baptist pastor like you know you boppers brew you do this and i actually think i had her do a southern accent like i said sound like you know one of those southern baptists like bible thumping and all that kind of stuff because that's what you're supposed to sound like and then jesus comes up and says actually man it's like this and she's like oh you're right and then she stripped you she takes the thing off she has the team jesus and she becomes one of him so it, it ended up being kind of an interesting metaphor to the beginning of the show because you're looking at this woman who's all this stuff and is like i'm this i'm that the, you know almost close to the pharisee but then she strips all that down and becomes one of him and that was the point of what i tried to do with that, that and then character. she sings day by day right which yeah. is such a like sweet simple surrendering kind of song yes did yeah. she sing that in yes. your production yep. Yep. that's the, really um, that's really neat to see that transformation of a character happen so quickly. Well, it was a mini arc. I told her that the, the, the more you can do more arcs in the middle, but this is like your mini arc of coming, coming about. And, um, um, you know, so you have God said the people, you go through a couple of the different Pharisee stuff. Um, I want I don't want to go into each, I don't want to go into each individual parable because some of them are just so good that you need to see on stage. But let me ask you, Amelia, because in the production I was in, in high school, the director leaned very, very, very heavy on current pop culture stuff. Like this was at the time of George W. Bush was in, in the office. So there was a Bush impression. There was Dave Chappelle's um, Rick James character in there somewhere. Um, obviously not saying Rick James, be it was more like you know yeah, yeah all rad um but there was a lot of like interspersed like pop culture stuff so how did you you personally handle the comedy of of the um of the piece because uh, there's a lot of room for kind of improvisations and for creating different um characters within characters there is and that is what makes godspell so fun i think in my opinion like you get a group of people together and give them permission to play. And um, I've, I was in a production where a lot of the, uh, not all, but a lot of the, the director, 
I think had a very clear idea of the style she wanted and it was definitely closer to the original in the like clowning vaudeville type of comedy um but when I directed it I was like comedy is not my forte we're just gonna play together there are some suggestions in the script but you all are very funny people so if you feel like doing something different give it a try and um, so there were some pop culture references. There were some, like, um, the, there were some celebrity impersonations. There were some references to current events, um, and to the history of the place that we were in, because, um, Jasmine and I and several other cast members had done this show in Salem that was about the Salem witchcraft trials, and, it was just so tied in our minds to the space we were performing. There were a couple references to that, some intentional, some not. Um, but it was, it, um, I mostly just like gave the cast permission to be themselves. And if they thought it was funny and it wasn't like some super obscure inside joke that nobody outside the cast was gonna get, then I was like, yeah, go for it. Um, and it, I think that worked really well because the humor felt very organic because it was coming from, you know, I wasn't trying to make jokes happen too much. There were a couple that I was like, I really want this to be a Hamilton reference or something like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, but for the most part, it was really fun to see how the, the cast interpreted the parables and to see, um, you know, the experiences, the references, the personalities that they brought in, um, and how those influenced the the humor that came out of that. Yeah, it really felt like a group of people, and it was. In some ways, I feel like I can't take a lot of credit for directing Godspell because every rehearsal I would have like everybody in the cast being like, what if we did this? What if we did that? Can I do this? Yeah. And sometimes it got to be a little too much, but a lot of really, really good stuff came from people just being like, hey, um, is it okay if I try this? And I'd be like, yes. And then they'd do it. I'd be like, yes. Okay. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Amelia knows this about me. When I think something is really, really funny, I'm like, keep that. I think that's, I, I think I've heard other actors say, that's my catchphrase, keep that, or do that, or, you know, I, I'm known for having my actors go to 11, as I say, like the Spinal Tap reference of go to 11, you know, and then we'll figure it out. When I was directing, I had come from that whole pop culture humor of it and impressions and all that stuff. And I, the first thing I said is I, I can't do that. I don't want this because it's such a timeless story, because it keeps being told on and on, I didn't want the humor to be of its time. I wanted it to be very timeless. So we did caricatures with a lot of the different things. And it was mostly, I said, do a funny voice, do something silly to, you know, you're playing the, um, the glutton who's eating all the food. Let it be, you know, someone who, really feels gluttonous but don't let it be like you know someone in pop culture who's you know fat or something let's not do that I don't want to make fun of people I want to make fun of caricatures and do almost timeless humor and 
it's sad to say, but I don't remember a lot of, because unfortunately we didn't film our version, which I'm, I'm still so sad about the fact that we, I didn't get it on film. I wish we had, um, but not to tell story, tell tales out of school, but my wife actually went to uh, MTI and tried to negotiate getting a permission and she couldn't. And I kept saying, well, I'll just film it anyway. And she says, but they're going to be looking for it because I already tipped the wire. So I said, okay, so we can't even do it. So we didn't, so we didn't film ours at all. Um, the one thing I do remember very much is when they were doing the charades bit, you know, Jesus doing the charades. I think I picked one person out and then it said, the band says this. Well, no one in the band really wanted to be an actor except for my wife, who there was no part written for a violin. We actually wrote in the score and figured it out with my help, with the help of the musical director, myself and Megan. We added a violin where there was no violin. And so she did a lot of extra stuff. So <laughs> there was one part where they're doing the charades and um, she yells it out and says, it's, it's this, uh, you know, give him your coat as well. I think it's the line. And um, Jacqueline, who was very good, who's very good friends with my wife, yelled, see, the violin lady got it. Oh. <laughs> One of my favorite lines. And it actually um, settled my wife with being known as the violin lady. So much so that when we see Richie now, he's still calls her the violin lady and when Jacqueline does, so how's the violin lady how's the violin lady's baby or whatever you know it's really really uh, 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 endearing but um, now the other question I, I just thought of while we were talking about this Stephen Schwartz has been very vocal about the fact that the clown makeup was specifically he, he hesitates to use the hippie world because he's like it was done because of the time, because of what it is there. And there, there's actually notice that he said, you don't have to do clown makeup. You can do something else that binds everyone together. So when you were either in it, Amelia, or when you directed it, did you do clown makeup or what was your um, antecedent as opposed to the, the clown makeup? Yeah, we didn't do clown makeup because it takes too long to put on and goff. Um. But uh, I, I have seen a couple productions where they did face paint, um, you know, like right after Save the People and then took it off before the, um, during On the Willows, I think. Um, when I was in it in high school, we had flower lays, um, just these really colorful lays that Jesus distributed to everybody that we put on and then took off during On the Willows. Um, I think Jesus took them off after saying goodbye to each of the the older disciples and there were a few like we had again a bigger cast than 10 so there were like the chosen I think there were like 12 actors that Jesus said goodbye to individually um and then another girl and I were off to the side so we actually took off each other's lays at the end of the song as we were singing on the willows um but uh when I directed it I wanted to show that when Jesus includes like Jesus gives everyone the same gift everyone receives the same thing 
but it's expressed in different ways for each person, um, which clown makeup can do that. But we had um, ribbons, just a length of, it was a blue ribbon. So all the same color, all the same length, everybody got one and then they could wear it in any way that they wanted. Um, and when they, at uh, the last supper, what I had them take off was actually the costume pieces that they put on during Save the People, but they kept the ribbons because I think that was Jasmine's idea. Cause she was like, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. Like Jesus isn't taking away what he gave them. Um, so instead of having, so they took off the costume pieces that were like, you know, playtime. It was like, okay, playtime is over. We're not uh, putting on a show anymore. We're not playing anymore but we're going to keep this thing that ties us together and ties us to jesus because this is still part of us so i don't know schwartz might if stephen schwartz overhears this he might strongly disagree with me but that was what we did i still no, have that... it and several other <laughs> cast members still have their blue ribbons and we'll trot them out on occasion like jackie still has hers and she wears it on special days it's it's a whole thing that's really awesome. So when I was in high school and we did it, they took like various items and like sewed polka dots, like black and like multicolored polka dots on it. So everyone had something different, like a piece of this cloth. So someone had it on their, uh, my friend had shin pads um, because he was on his knees a lot during the show doing a lot of the choreography. So um, the sh he put it on the shin pads. I had a tie. I made it into a tie and put it around my neck and walked around with a tie on, on, on me. When, we, when I got to directing it, I was trying to figure it out because the cast kept asking me, so what are we going to have as our unifying thing? And I was like, I, I don't want to do makeup because it's going to be too much to put on and, and what have you. I don't want to do... It's, it was hard. And then a friend of mine, actually, my, be my best friend up in Maine, uh, actually said to me, I'm learning how to knit. Do you need anything knitted? Again, God comes into play, helps me figure things out. We ended up doing bracelets, multicolored bracelets. So rainbow bracelets, like purple-ish kind of bracelets. And so everyone had them. And people had, and I had them in different sizes, um, so that they could either put it on their wrist, they could put it on their head as a like a sweatband. If they had long hair, they could tie it in a in in their hair. They could do whatever they wanted, but as long as they had this band on. And then at the end of the show, or uh, at uh, 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 on the willows, they gave it back. And I still have all of mine. I have one in my office. I have one in my car, and I have one in my wife's car too. And I think the cast members still have theirs. And funny enough, well, most of the cast members have their Team Jesus shirts. So that was a thing too. Um, going further, we, we, we were talking a little bit about All for the Best, which is probably one of the funnest numbers to ever do because it's so, it's so vaudeville, but also so Stephen Schwartz. And it begins with, with the Jesus singing of, uh, uh, do you feel sad? Uh, oh no, has, um, help me. Oh God, lyrics, lyrics, lyrics. When you feel sad or under a curse, your life is bad. 
your prospects are worse. <laughs> yeah, the slide whistle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had one of those um, vi uh, Viber, vi Viber slap things, and Megan was in charge of that. So it was like it's like a metal bit with a wooden bit and a, and a round wooden bit, and you just slap it and go. So Megan had that. That was the the um, instead of the zoom because we didn't have the zoom, and she did. And then Richie starts doing a, a soft shoe, which I will fully admit I did not choreograph. He actually talked to a friend of his who taught him how to soft shoe, and I said, fine, do it. Um, and then Judas comes in and starts talking about the other side, and it counterpoints it, and it's so much fun. So when you did it, Amelia, either when you were in it or when you saw it or when you uh, directed it, did you use canes? Yes and no. <laughs> um, so when I was in it, yes, Jesus and Judas each had canes and it was very vaudeville -y. I think they had hats as well. Um, yeah. When I directed it, they had hats. I think part of Judas's costume was a fedora. That was his oh, nice. fancy, like his dress up costume piece that he put on. Um, and Jesus had a, like a little bowler hat. And then um, I wanted they wanted to do the vaudeville thing with canes and one of the cast members was also our choreographer and she wanted everybody to have canes and she's like well i can get a bunch of canes from this dance company i was like that feels a little too put together for this group because the concept yeah. i wanted it to feel very much like this is just a group of people like they weren't expecting to do a show i wanted it to feel like this is kind of happening in real time and like jesus right. comes in and they're using whatever they have, whatever Jesus brought in and whatever they have just lying around in the space. So I was like, so let's get a bunch of things that are not canes, but can be used as canes. So like Jesus had a mop. John had this weird little like toy thing that was like a rubber octopus on a stick. I still yeah. don't know what its purpose was, but it was his cane. He fell in love with it. Somebody had an umbrella. Somebody had like a crutch. Somebody had a... Uh, there were like assorted objects and somebody had like a hockey stick and so they were like doing this module number with like household objects and garbage so it was it was, it was fun it was like that's hilarious yeah. we um the theater the when i did it in high school they did with they did canes but they couldn't get the canes like the magic act to appear they couldn't figure that out so the canes were thrown to them from off stage um, and they caught it and they did the dance or whatever. I can actually remember the dance, how scary is that? And I wasn't even in it. Um, when I directed it, because Richie is so, you know, so amazing and such a showman, I encouraged him to do a lot of magician-y, and he knew some tricks and such. So there was a lot of magic, a lot of magician-y stuff that he did throughout the show. And so when we got to that, we were trying to figure out how to do it. And again, Megan found on Amazon.com the canes that roll up and you hit a button and it appears and uh, appears at itself. So we got two of them and I let the actors take them home, play with them, get to know it and uh, figure out how to do it. And in fact, Richie was really helpful with showing Jacqueline so she didn't, because I cut my hand a bunch of times because it's all um, metal on there so I was like showing her and then I cut like cuts all over my hands and everything um but it was worth it I love that was a great great number and Jacqueline 
who at the time was kind of nervous because she didn't, um, she hadn't really done musicals and she really wasn't looking into musicals. I think she auditioned a little bit because she was interested in it because I, because um, we were friends and that type of thing. But the minute she got into it, it was so much fun to see her do something different. And she had a great voice, so she really um, opened it up and, and what have you. Um, going further on, I would love to know what you did for the Mae West se sequence, the turn back old man sequence. Because I've seen it, when we did it in high school, it was... repressed Catholics doing it. It was not, it was borderline PG-13, borderline inappropriate, but no one said anything at the time. But when I looked at it just recently, a couple months ago, when I was doing a watch party with two of my friends, we were sitting there going, how did they let us do this? This, I mean, there were there was no nudity, no one did clothes off or anything like that, but it was just so obviously subliminal messaging, subtle stuff and all that stuff. It was really creepy the way we did it. And so I, when we did it, I'm, I had, um, I don't know if you know her, but uh, Joan uh, Holtz was my uh, Sonia doing Turn Back Oh Man. And she has a really like sassy way about her. So I just had to go through the audience and talk to the audience while singing Turn Back Oh Man. And then she, Judas and one of the other actresses got in the line and did uh, a little bit of a dance. It wasn't too crazy. It was pretty PG for what we were doing. But the one thing I, I insisted on Joan having was the boa. So she had a boa and she had several of them because they kept shedding on us. So when you did the Turn Back Old Man sequence, what specifically did you do? That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to preface my answer by saying that Turn Back, Oh Man is probably the one song in Godspell that I don't love. I never understood the whole, like, why they made it a sexy thing, because it doesn't have anything to do with what she's singing about. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't, it never made sense to me why that was in there, and it never quite sat well with me. And then when I was directing it with, um, you know, because of who I cast as Jesus, the whole like, I, obviously in Salem, I don't think they would have a problem with a woman flirting with a woman, but it just read differently yeah. and it was not what I wanted to be saying. And like, I was never very comfortable with seeing that character flirt with a male Jesus. I was like, this is not what this is about. This is what- Well, yeah, um, yeah. So what I decided to do is we took a cue from the environment we were in. We were in downtown Salem. So I was like, why don't we have you reading cards? And so she had a deck of cards and she was doing like fortune telling. Like and a tarot so, reader. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, because I was thinking like, you know, it's less about being seduced by, it's less about sexual seduction and being more about being seduced by like anything that's not Jesus. Like when I was in high school, the director had the character um, she still had the boa and stuff, but people were like waving um, trinkets and like Mardi Gras oh, shiny yeah. things and like, yeah, oh, right. I remember we've had this conversation about how that made it worse, but um, 
but it was about like being seduced by money. So yeah. keep it to yourself. Um, and then when I did it, it was like, I guess being seduced by wanting to be in control or be certain of your future. Um, so, you know, she's, Jesus wasn't on stage at the beginning of act two. And it was just like a small group of the cast members. And this one girl kind of like, pulls out a pack of cards it's like hey Jesus isn't around we can do this now and um it's like you know telling people's fortunes and she was just making up stuff like it was clear that she had no idea what she was actually doing and like yeah it as a character didn't know what she was actually doing which and makes sense that, yeah. that was part of the joke and then when Jesus came in um and sort of this like oh shoot mom caught us moment and then um but jesus took the cards or or got her to give her the cards and then gave them to the rest of the cast and set up a game of go fish so in the background instead of like the little um flirty banter things at the um at the end of the song yeah the she climax. Was, it, yeah in between it's like people going got any eights Nope, go fish, turn back, oh man. How about any hearts? <laughs> so yeah, like Stephen Schwartz would probably hate me for it. Um, yeah. A lot of hardcore Godspell fans, especially anyone who loves that song would probably hate me for it. But it's... Um, I think it's all about interpretation, I really do. It, it made it less uncomfortable for the actress who was singing it, who had a yeah. perfect voice for the song, but wasn't as comfortable with that type of character, because that's just not true to who she was. Um, she's also not into fortune telling either, but was a little more comfortable. Like when I gave her permission to be like, okay, you have no idea what this is. Like, just, just make up stuff. Um, she ended up having fun with it. And it just, it worked for that particular production. For another production, I don't know what I would do, but that, yeah. that was our solution. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting what you bring up in terms of the whole that, for the most part, in most of the productions, it's used as a seducing scene as a Mae West, I call it a Mae West Marilyn Monroe scene of like an old-fashioned, like in the realm of uh, whatever Lola wants from Damn Yankees and, and that type of thing. I personally have always seen it as... Uh, the Sonya character, the character that sings that, wants attention. And so it's talking about having the attention that she wants and uh, talking about how, um, not that she gets it from men, but she gets it from companionship and that she she's now being, uh, with the help of Jesus, opening herself up to having it be, I mean, that character is very, very lonely, I think, in in, in, in how I directed it. And so I very much had her be that you're putting this all on, but it's not who you really are. And that's why Jesus is there. And that counterpoints it. And I didn't have her seduce Jesus. So when Jesus comes, <laughs> so when Jesus comes in, he's, she's in front of the stage and talking to the audience. She's not seducing anyone, any of the other actors, anyone there. She is just the audience. She's just playing to the audience that's there. When Jesus appears, he's up on uh, a higher level. There's, there were two levels. And so he was up on a higher level singing, you know, now, even yeah. now, once more. And it's, it was, for me, him singing that is more of a premonition of what's happening. It's Jesus, him, then realizing what's happening next. 
this is the last time they can have fun because he's going to have to take on the Pharisee. He's going to have to take on Judas. The second act is not fun for Jesus at all. This is when Jesus yeah. becomes more of the, pe the person we know having to push against the, the grain in society. And this, he's allowing her to have fun and allowing her to enjoy and have a party but it's a bittersweet party for him because he knows what's coming, what, what's mm. happening next. And with that being said, the next scene, we go right into the Pharisee questioning Jesus and his, not only his identity, but also his reason for standing there. And, and Jesus schools him at every, every realm of, you know, who's, who's this person on this coin? Oh, it's Caesar's. Well, then give Caesar what's due Caesar and give God what's due God. Or, you know, and then he goes into a last for you which is probably the, the rockiest song up to this point. And certain versions I like, certain versions go a little too Jesus Christ superstar and like, you know, heavy metal-ish kind of thing. I'd rather have it be kind of, because in the original cast recording with Stephen uh, Nathan singing it, it's very kind of folky, but it still has the passion, has the anger. And I let Richie kind of build and build and then kind of, it's more frustration. And it's the first time we've seen frustration. And the only reason I said to Richie, you have to show frustration is because then that allows Judas to be like, dude, I thought this guy was cool. I thought he was low key. I thought he was just a showman and, you know, just going to talk to them. But he's even more angry than I am. And that pushes Judas to then be like, I, I, this guy, is dangerous. He shouldn't be around. And that leads Judas to, to betray him. At least that's how I portrayed it in my thing. When you directed it, when you got to that part, was it more anger that you had Jesus playing or was it uh, frustration or was it something else that, that you had Jesus playing when it got to a, a last for you? Um, I think there's definitely a lot of anger and frustration in that song. You you can't really do it without. That's how the song is written. And it's a moment in, it's based on a moment in the Gospels where Jesus is just fed up with, you know, trying to tell these people the same thing for years and having them just not get it. And yeah. having the people, like the Pharisees who claim to be the ones who are following God's laws perfectly and the priests who are the ones who are supposed to be like, mediators between god and the people they're supposed to be god's representatives on earth and they're just and here jesus is god and they are questioning his authority and not listening to him and like that's incredibly frustrating yeah and so there was a lot of frustration there um and it it ended with jesus turning upstage away from the audience and away from the cast and okay. just kind of this moment of like i need a minute i can't yeah. deal with you people right now but she was turning toward um the steps of the building which eventually became the cross and like facing that um and and then it goes into from jesus being really angry into jesus weeping and saying oh jerusalem jerusalem um yeah. so it it was anger and frustration 
coming from a place of deep sadness. Yeah. Because of the love for these people and they're just, they're not getting it. <laughs> they're not open to it. Right, right. And then, you, and then you go right into, he weeps for Jerusalem and then he goes into another parable seemingly back to to, to normal which is very very interesting yeah um, well, but that particular parable though i just now realized like why it's that parable at that moment so it's the sheep and the goats right and he's talking about like these people who you can say that you know god you can say that you're trying to be like me um but if you're not actually loving people if you're not actually doing what what I've told you to do, then you're you're a goat. <laughs> you're a Pharisee. Yeah, and that's and that's very true. And then that leads, um, I believe. Yeah, so that goes into. Um, oh, so we actually missed it. So, um, before going into that, um, they're singing "By My Side," which is the only oh. song in the score that Stephen Schwartz did not write. It was actually from the original Carnegie Mellon version and he loved it so much that he kept it in the score. That song to me is, I mean, I love Stephen Schwartz's work. I love everything he does. That's the pin drop moment in the, in the show. That's kind of, because that's after the adulteress, they, uh, they, they go to throw rocks to the adult at, at the uh, woman who's, uh, um, accused of being an adulteress and Jesus comes in the middle and says anyone who has sinned shall f throw the first stone and no one throws a stone because they're like oh well, we've all sinned and the, they walk away and you know the quasi funny part is how they like pretend to put the rock away like it, it's written that they pretend it's a phone or, or whatever and all that and and the girl who played Robin she was doing this she was going to to throw and then uh it stops and then she goes hello hello and just walks off stage and then we have this by my side and it's one of the songs i personally can't listen to the song and not weep because it's so such a beautiful story you know of a, i'll put a pebble in my shoe and you'll you'll teach me to walk and we will walk i shall call the pebble um um Dan and all this I dare and we will and keep going and all this stuff it's just and you'll stay with me by my side it's the first inclination that they also kind of know something's happening and something's going to happen to Jesus but no one has really wanted to say because they want the fun to continue they want to keep staying with them and that's why I think it's so beautiful and, so, and I'll tell you I don't know if it was the same for you but when we when my two actresses were rehearsing it. It took a full three weeks to get it down because those, the melody, the counterpoints, the harmonizing is so intricate and so interwoven that it's, I mean, I personally can remember singing the male part, the down part in, in it of, um, and we shall walk, talk about walking and when we both have had enough. I can remember that whole bit just because of how intricately we were taught. Um, did it take a long time for your guys to, to get by my side? Cause it's such a. 
Um, my music director could probably tell you. I I remember all of the songs because we did the revival score because okay. I like the arrangements better, but they're a lot harder. So it took us all of the songs except for Prepare Ye and Day by Day. It took a pretty long time to learn. But um, yeah, I know Day by, sorry, not Day by Day. That was also very special, but by my side, by my side, by my side we're so past day by day now. By my <laughs> side, okay. um, it, it was never my favorite song until I directed the show. Yeah. And because it comes after that moment where Jesus is, where we see Jesus angry for the first time and realize kind of how alone Jesus is in this, yeah. carrying this weight, then you know, we see Jesus rescue this woman. We see Jesus defend this person who feels alone and friendless because everybody's turned on her. And then what happened in the, when I directed it, we realized that, um, you know, Jesus is fed up after that and turns away from the group because it's just like, I, I can't believe that I've tried so hard to teach these people and still like they can turn on a dime and do this to each other. Mm. And then the woman goes, where are you going? Where are you going? And, and Jasmine turns around and she has this look on her face. Like she's about to cry because, you know, Jesus is carrying this huge burden and somebody finally reaches out and it was, it was like she was comforting um, Chelsea, the actress who was playing that okay. that character and sang that song. Like she was comforting Chelsea, but then Chelsea turned around and was comforting her. Yeah. And then it became like, and then Jesus like helped this character to, um, you know, one by one, the, the two girls who were singing the other harmony parts came up and sort of in pantomime asked for forgiveness and Jesus was like encouraging Chelsea to forgive them and then the guys who had accused her and it was a really beautiful moment of like forgiveness yeah yeah of of her being able to show grace and then everybody kind of coming around Jesus and yeah um trying to offer comfort in their own ways. Like it ended up with Jasmine and Chelsea, like kneeling on the floor, holding each other and oh. like stroking each other's hair. It was like really oh, sweet. Oh, and I was like, yes, Jesus needs comfort. Jesus needs a hug so badly right now. And it was really satisfying and like really great each time that we rehearsed each time we did the show to see Jesus have that moment of, of comfort and support from all the followers even if they don't entirely understand what's going on yeah yeah and yeah that's kind of i think the the point of that and that's really i love that i love that um then we go into we beseech thee was my favorite one of my favorite songs because so it's so so fun and what was funny about that is um not to tell tales out of school but the girl i cast as um um Jeffrey, I think I renamed her. I think I renamed her Jennifer. I, I most of the character, most of the actors were women. There was only two guys, and that was Richie and uh, Spencer O'Dowd, who we both know, who played, of course, the Herb character, because um, he's perfect for it. And uh, so, um, 
the and not to tell tales out of school, Jeffrey, who's was who I was going to have for you if you, if you had done it. Um, <laughs> that would have been really fun. I would have loved it, but she couldn't really hit the the high note the, at the very end of We Beseechly. So I had given her a kazoo to play during the boom chicka boom chicka boom do 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 That's fantastic. And instead, and when she got the uh uh saying uh 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 um we beseech she hits the high thing of just we beseech um but what i love so much about that first of all it was the last like kind of fun number before sadness happens so (laughs) richie being inevitable richie fooling around during rehearsal we're we're playing the song we're learning the song and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he comes from backstage because he lets the actors have all the fun and he, he was just going to be in the audience kind of thing. He comes around to, like, the band and he starts going, Jesus, I'm Jesus, I'm G-, during the boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. And he, I think he didn't know I saw him. So I said to him, I said, Richie, you got to do that. And he says, really? It was stupid. I said, it was hysterical. So every night he was doing Jesus, I'm Jesus. Uh, and that you know so the uh, we beseech you has a has a lot of fun um that one would have been my song if i was in the show in high school it was i was not uh sing, i wasn't a soloist it was uh like kind of how you were saying before there was like 10 soloists and then the rest of us behind doing bits and pieces here and there but um so we go then into the garden of gethsemane um you know the whole betrayal uh judas leaves and then Jesus kind of goes around and, and like we said before, goes around and says goodbye to everyone while On the Willows is playing. On the Willows, which, again, gets me every time. And, I, you know, I know the song pretty well now. We actually had the choir from that Methodist church singing, singing it. It was like four members, uh, a bass, a tenor, an alto, and a soprano singing on the willows there and harmonizing somehow we figured it out i don't know how we did it but it was so um um beautiful and initially um not to be selfish on my part but i was actually going to sing it from backstage because i was so when i was directing it we had no one doing lights and sound so i was up up there the director was working the board the 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 the, the soundboard and like you do if, in community theater right exactly and what lights we had I was figuring it out and initially I was going to have a mic next to me and sing the song but the week before we were going to go on uh, uh, a couple weeks before I got had gotten a cold so I couldn't really learn the song so we had the choir which was again my wife's idea to throw them in and it was perfect because it brought everything together because the two pastors um, one of the pastors was Robin, the other pastor was playing Joanne. So we had like the whole community, which got more of the people to come and see it from the, the church as opposed to just theater nerds. That's wonderful. I know. It was, I loved it. So we get to the crucifixion. Now, in my head, I have seen this crucifixion done a million different ways. Most of the time, Jesus is the center point. He's He's... He's up at the top of his realm, you know, in the in the stance, and all the actors are looking up to him, trying to save him and and what have you. 
I had gotten this crazy idea and I said, and this goes into my view of what the show is about. The show is about community. It's actually not really about Jesus per se. To me, it's about what Jesus gave us as a community. The, the stories, the love, the help each other, be kind to your neighbor, all the love that, that he laid down for us. He gave us a way to live that we should be following. So I think the God spells more about the community as opposed to Jesus. Jesus is just the figure that comes and tells us all these, all these things. And it's about what do you do when that goes on? Kind of in a Hamilton sense, what is the legacy that Jesus left that other people are going to carry on? So I wanted, to, I wanted the audience to see the actors agonizing over Jesus's um, death. So what I did, in front of the altar, there was like a, like a small three inch, no, um, like a foot, two footer railing before you got down on the floor. And I had all the actors behind there, including Judas, and they're all behind it. And because I'm an actor and I need to, I need the attention, I became the Pharisee who put Richie up on the, on the cross. So this unknown person you've never seen comes up and puts him on the cross. What but was your cross? We had a, um, it's a church. We had a cross somewhere and it was okay, just a brown, cool. it was just a brown crucifix. I, I, we had two of them, but one of them I liked really good. It was like a, a, a ratty old one that was in the back. They showed me one that was in pristine shape. They showed me another one that was ratty. And I said, the ratty one, because that's what he would have been on. It would have been an old piece of wood. So I come in and I put him up on the, on the thing, you know, up on the, on the thing. And then I turn, I walk back a couple of ways and I pretend to press a button under the, the railing. And I said to the actors, pretend plexiglass has come up and you cannot get to Jesus. So you can see the actors agonizing, trying to break this thing. And I said, bang it with all you can. You can't break through it. It's, it you're just doing this. So while he's singing, oh God, I'm bleeding they're like when i said to them when they when you are singing that you're taking a break you're like i gotta get jesus but we can't we can't break through this thing let's do it together kind of thing and, and all that and it finally came down the 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 plexiglass comes down just as jesus dies so they couldn't get there and it was that the is only agonizing <laughs> it's the that's only such thing, a good way to do it it's the only thing i could think of to get the audience to see the actors, because I wanted them to see all the actors, not just Jesus reacting to his death. I didn't want it just to be about Jesus. I wanted it to be about the community he was leaving behind. You know, he was fulfilling a prophecy. They don't know this. So they're agonizing over their friend dying. So I spaced them out in such a way that they were doing this. And then when the thing ended, I took him down and carried him out myself and the cross out to the hallway, leaving them in their agony, just destroyed, whatever. And then I had, I think it was Judas. I think Jude, um, either that or it was uh, Sonia is the one who starts long live God, long live God. And what ends up happening and not to give it away, I know you didn't see it, so I can give this away. Um, <laughs> They slowly get back into their positions that they were in at the very beginning during Tower of Babel when um, 
John the Baptist signals down to them, prepare you the way of the Lord. So they get back into those positions and up in the rafters, up in the balcony, it is not John the Baptist, it is Jesus. And it is essentially him standing there with his hand out, almost like the Michelangelo um, um, painting, saying, go forward and tell my story and, and give the Holy Spirit to the rest of the people. And it's them crying, yes. taking it from them, and it becomes about them. Yes. It becomes about the community. It does not, it, it ends up being about what Jesus left behind, and it ends up being about the community. So what you were, the arc that you were following along with these people learning about it, and, you know, even Judas is there. And Judas, I told her, you and Richie have some moment together that basically says, you are forgiven. Because I believe Judas is forgiven. He, he, he's not to be condemned for all time. He did what he was supposed to do. And, you know, he's forgiven at the end. But that's, that's how my God spell was. So from that God spell to, to what you did. So how did your Gethsemane into uh, uh, the uh, um, finale into, how did you end yours? Oh boy, um, this is, yeah, um, sorry, I just oh, thinking about it is probably one of the most, it, I'm starting to tear up just remembering back because it's such a powerful sequence, it's so emotionally yeah. um, charged, the you know, seeing these relationships that have formed between the cast now be severed when they lose Jesus and then seeing it all come back together in some way is, um, the finale gets me every time. It does, <laughs> but, yeah, you're um, right, you're absolutely yeah, right. So, so Gethsemane, um, Sorry. Um, oh, you're okay. You're okay. So, during the Gethsemane scene, we had like Jesus praying down center while everyone else is, you know, asleep. But yeah. they were also all the voices of uh, temptation that are, oh, you know, right. trying to convince Jesus yeah. not to do this. And, um, and at the end of all that, Judas comes in. Um, so there was a, a big staircase at the, we were in this lot at the back of um, Old Town Hall in Salem. And there's three staircases on the back of the Old Town Hall. Um, and they all have double doors at the top. Judas came through the double doors at the top of the center staircase and sees Jesus. And Jesus turns around and sees him. And they have this moment and Jesus, Judas tries to run away, but... The, um, the door wasn't actually locked, but we pretended that it had locked behind him. So he's like pounding on the door and pulling the handle, trying to open it. And there's a railing on either side of him. The only place he can go is to Jesus. Like this has to happen. Yeah. There's no escaping it. And um, it, Jesus, you know, turns to him and says, friend, uh, what did she say? Actually, I don't remember exactly what she, the line is there because. Oh, friend, do friend, what you do came. What you, 
Do we keep? Is it there? I was trying to remember if it was there at the Last Supper. I think like in Matthew, it's at the Last Supper that Jesus says that. But anyway, they have a moment, and Jesus like I think in the script it says something about like they have something about a kiss in the script. Um, I think Jasmine like hugged Judas as he's he's like shaking and starting to cry, and she like hugs him and kisses him on the forehead, and it's like clearly loving him even though they both know that this has to happen um so then judas dragged jesus up onto the steps and what we did was we had these red silk banners that had been um they were attached to like this decorative thing at the top of the door frame and they were like pinned up as like decorative swags for most of the show during Save the People, um, right before the Last Supper, Jesus came and like took them down. So they were just hanging straight on either side of the staircase. Okay. And so G- Judas pulls Jesus up onto the stairs and then takes the ribbons and like ties Jesus up with these red ribbons around her wrists so that we have like, you know, the image of blood pouring yeah. and dripping down. Um, and it it worked. It was like an image that evoked the cross, even though it wasn't, there was no actual cross. Yeah. Um, I had the cast at the bottom of the stairs. I did not really come up with some clever reason for why they didn't just run up the stairs and rescue Jesus, but you know, it, it's God's spell. Suspension of disbelief. Um, yeah, I, I was trying to make it a little more yeah. reality-based, was... but only because I am a Reformed Catholic, so. <laughs> I mean, it I think it can work either way. I like your solution a lot. Yeah. Um, it, so then Judas pulling in a little bit of, I actually have gotten a little bit of uh, not flack, but questioning for this from other Christian friends because they're like, wait a minute, this is not what happened. Um, I was like, yeah, well, Judas and John the Baptist weren't the same person. It's God's spell. Get over it. Um, yeah, yeah. So Judas, after seeing what he's done, like during, you know, the long musical break um, in between, oh God, I'm dying and oh God, I'm dead. Yeah. Um, I was like, what is happening here? Something needs to be happening beyond just Jesus gasping and dying, um, yeah. which Jasmine did horribly well. Um, so I had Judas go up on one of the other staircases <laughs> and like be climbing up the railing like he was going to throw himself off. Yeah. Because in the Bible, like that's what yeah Jesus he kills himself. Did. He yeah. Went out and killed himself because he felt so guilty over what he had done. So then I had, but I was like, this is God's spell. I'm not going to do that. Um, so what I did was I had Chelsea, the girl who had who sang by my side, the one who Judas primarily and other people accused of being an adulteress see what was happening and while everyone else is weeping over jesus she runs up the stairs like grabs judas tackles him to the floor and like holds him and he starts crying and it was like this moment of redemption so that when jesus came back um because jesus has to come back i know some productions end with jesus just being carried out dead (laughs) but we need to see jesus in some way having some kind of connection with the group because otherwise it's just like where is the hope um so jesus died we had the two of the guys in the cast um 
untie the ribbons and like carry her into the building and everyone is sad yeah there's a little side door on the old town hall and so (laughs) as everyone is weeping and uh crying jasmine is going from being dead to frantically running down the stairs and through a hallway to this little side door and somehow in between she was like switching this red flower crown that she was wearing for the whole show to a white one i still don't know how she did it it was magical but she comes out the side door and she's singing that that harmony was just her alone oh wow Um, and so the cast is singing uh like long live god and they hear Jesus's voice singing prepare ye and it's I actually stole this idea from the director of the production I was in in high school she had Jesus do the same thing and it was a really beautiful moment so um so they hear it we hear Jesus singing before we see Jesus and the cast reactions are like is this is this in my head is this just a memory and it to the audience is like is it just a memory is it that they're all remembering jesus at the same time but then they kind of look at each other it's like do you hear that too yeah i hear that too and then chelsea ended up being the first one to see jesus because she just was kind of standing apart from the group and she turns and looks it was kind of like mary magdalene it's like oh my gosh there's jesus and jasmine walks onto the stage and you know there's group hugs all around um there's a beautiful moment where I think Judas was the last one that she hugged and he just came and threw himself at her feet and she like knelt down with him and hugged him. And then they ended up singing the same harmony. Like it was the two of them on the high harmony for the very Uh last part of the song. No other voices on that part. And so it was, I, cause I want Judas to have that redemption too, because you know, I, I think if we really believe the things that we preach about God, if it just in the context of God's spell, like if the message is forgiveness and love, then no one is excluded from that. Judas has been a part of this community from the beginning. And the real power of Jesus's message is that even after becoming completely disillusioned and betraying jesus judas can still be part of the community can still be forgiven it's that's i don't know i wanted that in there so well and i i I think i like the fact that you and i both saw that in the in the show that we don't just because you're right a lot my high school production they killed uh judas off well what they did is they had judas after he put him up on the cross run behind this big structure this like um, they were there two step things and they had him up this way looking like a cross and he went behind and you heard a gunshot and then the rock music <sighs> happens again catholic school this is what yep. they did yes that's true but that's very dark for a, a high school show but here's what they did so then when they were singing long live god and all that we're wrapping jesus in a uh, a thing and they're mm-hmm. carrying him off and we're carrying him down the back of the theater back to the auditorium and all of a sudden, with the music to 2001 A Space Odyssey, Jesus po- opens these two things and appears in front, and everyone joins back. And how they did it is the guy who played Jesus, Judas and the guy who played Jesus are, were literally the same body size, body type, and it just was one after another. So it was like huh. a magic trick. But so it was, 
Judas was actually Jesus at the end, or no, 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 no. Judas was the one carried off in the oh. and then Jesus ah. had the That's moment. It's very clever. That's that very was... interesting. That's very creative. That was the only creative part of that entire show. <laughs> I I looked at it again, and I was very, very. Um, disheartened by what we did so um, i think that's still a pretty clever bait and switch (laughs) yeah no very much so we have to say the fact that um godspell was only nominated for one tony award in 1977 uh it was nominated for best score but that was the only nomination it, it ever got and i think it deserves more um i mean we've talked about it this show like i said it means a lot to me personally. It was um, the show that um, kind of got me really to believe that I could do theater and that this was a thing and that you could create long lasting friendships and relationships within theater and that it wasn't just like, oh, you do a show, you bond really quickly and then when the show's over, okay, bye, we'll see you later. You know, oh, we'll get together and you never get together. So it was the first time that really got me to believe that and then so I think Amelia knows this story, but um, I have been I have been acting for about two or three years within community theater before Godspell happened, and I kept trying to I was interviewing for directing gigs, um, but I wasn't getting any anywhere, and I actually had an offer to do um, a puppet show up in Lunenburg with Drawbridge Theater, which I did with my friend um, Amelia's met him John Bishop my writing partner. And we wrote a show with the two of us, my wife and um, Andrew Quinney, all doing the puppets and doing the things. And it was up in Lunenberg. It was in the middle of nowhere. I directed the whole thing. John says he directed some of it. I directed the whole thing. And um, people saw it, the people who saw it liked it and really enjoyed it. They, we did a Q&A session afterwards and they really enjoyed it. But it was kind of a failure. We didn't really make that much money. We made, we got our money back. My wife and I had some money into the show, but we didn't really, it didn't go anywhere and it didn't do anything for anything. So I'm kind of upset and sad and I'm not sure what to do with my career. I was like, I don't really want to just be an actor. I want to do more. And I happened to hear the pastor, uh, Jamie Michaels say out of the corner of, uh, you know, just in passing, this place would be a good place to, to do Godspell. Bing. And I'm like, oh my God. We had a meeting. We had a meeting at uh, this place in, in Reading and we just talked it through and I said, here's what we'll do. Here's what I think we should do. And she was totally cool with it. And funny enough, the, the, the church put up all the money, most of the money to pay for the rights. And my wife and I put in an extra couple hundred bucks so that we could get the props and get all this other stuff. And we just kept a list of what we were doing. And I had no idea what I was doing in terms of directing. I'd always wanted to direct, but all I knew is, all right, you have to get from this scene to this scene. You have to build a bunch of stuff and you have to build the emotion and all that. And the musical director was taking charge of me. So I was kind of in charge of everything and I was drowning in it. I was so stressed. I was so anxious and, and what have you. When we opened, we only did one weekend because we couldn't do two weekends for some reason, but we did one weekend. We had a hundred people. Now this is a no-name theater, a no-name director. And yeah, these actors had been around and done shows around locally, but we weren't big and they were doing me a favor and I was kind of no no name or whatever. And actually uh, 
Reading had some kind of like porch thing where you could, they would like all the businesses had a bunch of, uh, it was like a fair or something the, the weekend before. My wife and I had little postcards and we were handing them out to everyone. Come see our show, come see our show. Our show opens next weekend. At the end of it all, we had a hundred people come for one weekend, one weekend show, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. A hundred people came to see that show. A hundred people paid money to come and see that show. And not only did we make our money back, but we made a little bit extra. And I was actually interviewing for another directing job at um, Colonial Chorus. And they liked the idea, but they were hesitant about me because I didn't have that, I was green. The producers came to see the show, to see Godspell, because one of their friends was in the show and they found out I had directed it. I come down, so at the very end, I'm in the, the sound and I turn all the sound off and I come down to open all the doors so that the audience can leave. And the first person out is the producer. And he looks at me and I look at him and I say, so am I fired? Did I do a good job? And he says, it's your show, you got it. And it started my career because right after that, I then got offered almost Maine for uh, a theater company of Saugus. I did Twelfth Night for the Bard Brigade. And then that just rolled into everything that's happened. So Godspell not only gave me the feeling that friendships and everything could grow from theater and theater was something that truly could build, build a community, but Godspell also gave me, essentially gave me a career. And I cannot, you know, with some of its faults, with some of the things I don't care about with it, I love the show entirely. And it's, it's one of my favorite shows. And again, it's one of those shows that I said what I needed to say within it. Um, so much so that my mother was crying at the end of the show when she came on the matinee, because I said, mom, what do you like? And her eyes were tearing up and she had cries and she just said, you created this, this was you. <laughs> And I said, uh, yeah, I did. And she gave me a big hug. And so that was really exciting. So um, I owe Godspell a lot. I really do. Um, and again, like I said, I won't, I won't direct it again because of that, because I don't want to forget any of that. Um, we didn't really talk about the, go ahead. I'm sorry. What are you going to say? I was just saying that's wonderful. Yeah. Just everything that that show did for you. I really wish I got to see yours because knowing that space like how we knew it with that Scottish play. I would have loved to see all those parables in the middle of that square in front of the old town and, you know, right in the smack dab in the middle of Sam. That would have been amazing to see. I really wish I, I had seen that show. So we didn't really talk about um, the film. The film is good. It's not a great, great film, but it's a decent film. Um, it all takes place in New York, so all of the parables are in the middle of some New York landmine. Landmine. Uh, <laughs> um, some New York, New York landmine. Um, funny enough, um, All for the Best is filmed on top of the Trade Centers. It's really creepy. It's really creepy. Um, and unfortunately, I wish I could say that um, Mr. Uh, 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 Telbeck, who was the book writer, John Michael, had a better career, but unfortunately he passed away in 1985 when he was only 35 years old and he only directed one other um, 
show in his time. He was working on a couple of things, but nothing really uh, came about. And Godspell ended up being the only thing he was really known for. So it's really sad. But but thankfully, Stephen Schwartz has carried on the legacy of, of Godspell to an amazing, amazing degree. So much so that, like Amelia said, when she did her show, I did my show was the original production. It's the original version with all the original stuff kind of intact. Uh, Amelia's version he updated a couple bits and um, I think, I don't think there are new parables, but the songs, some of the lyrics of Tower Babel is a little different and yeah. harmonies the, are different. The orchestration and harmonies are mostly what's different there. Yeah. Because Schwartz was writing for, I think a lot of the people in the original production were not trained musical theater actors necessarily yeah. or they weren't trained singers but you know he was writing for broadway actors this time around so he's like all right i'm gonna make this as hard and complex as possible and it's awesome and every yeah. music director and every actor who has to learn it will hate you but in the end they'll be glad because it'll sound awesome <laughs> well and one of the new versions that came on broadway i know i think it was the last one part of it was acapella there was a lot of acapella kind of in and out of the songs and i really like that i think um we beseechly was a lot of acapella up and down kind of kind of bits and, and pieces so it was uh, uh there's a million different soundtrack versions um the original version is with steven um uh, uh steven nathan uh and uh most of the original cast the only difference between the movie version is Victor Garber ends up taking up the the role of Jesus. And if you don't, if you Victor Garber from Legally Blonde and uh, uh, Alias and just a brilliant, brilliant actor, and he does it so beautifully. He's such a great, great actor in that role. Um, and there's a new song. There's a beautiful city that that was added that Stephen Schwartz added for that that show. And I it has come. It is in the new version now. It's now part of the score. Is is that? Am I right? Amelia? Yes, it is. It comes uh, right before the Last Supper scene. Okay, so yeah, instead of a reprise of Day by Day, they go into Beautiful City. Um, I've heard it. Um, the best version I've heard so far is on the 2001 National Tour recording, and it's really, really brilliant what they do with that one. Um, brilliant, brilliant um, version of that. And the new version that, like I said, uh, there was a 2011 uh, Broadway revival, which had Hunter Parrish, Wallace Smith, uh, Anna Marie uh, Perez uh, d'Italia, uh, Cecily Henderson, uh, a whole bunch of group. And one person you, you might have heard of, of uh, George uh, Salazar, who's now known for one of the uh, actors in Beach Hill. And I will talk about this later, but um, one of the actors in the Jonathan Larson project, wonderful, wonderful voice this man has. Um, so if you, uh, this kid has, because he's younger than me, actually, which is scary. Uh, but um, just a great, great um, cast. And I think uh, Corbin Blue also uh, took over the role for a while in, in that version, too. Um, there's a Godspell Jr. Um, that has, uh, they, they, it's more of a, one act musical and they take out Turn Back Old Man, Alas for You, By My Side and On the Willows. I don't know why they took out some of those songs, but probably just for time or whatever. Um, but if you haven't, I can only assume if you're listening to this, you probably have heard of Godspell, but if you haven't heard of Godspell, you gotta get in the know. 
Um, it's wonderful. It's a brilliant show. Um, you know, like I said, it means a lot to me. Um, you know, Amelia, uh, closing everything out, do you have any closing thoughts, closing remarks about Godspell, anything that we haven't really, haven't talked about or anything that um, I didn't properly explain? I think we've covered pretty much everything. I mean, there's always more to say, but the best thing really is to, you know, listen to it for the first time if you've never heard it or for the hundredth time if you have. Uh, I really appreciate, Amelia, you taking some time out of your day and coming to talk about Godspell. Um, and not to give anything away, but Amelia will be back for other shows that we've <laughs> talked about. Um, but I really appreciate talking to you about um, um, Godspell. I really appreciate this too. It's such an honor because I know this show means so much to so many people. Um, I feel like I know very few people who are the only people I know who have neutral feelings about Godspell are the ones who've never heard of it. Um, so it really is an honor that I get to be the person that you have on to talk about this very special show. So thank you so much for that. Of course. And you're welcome anytime to talk about anything we, we want to talk about. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, thank you once again to Amelia. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope you, everyone is staying safe, staying uh, away from each other, uh, six feet at least. Um, and I really hope everyone is, is well and, and doing well, and um, I will catch you uh, next time. But have a good night, and thank you so, so much for listening. Take it easy. When you're looking to plan your next Disney World, Disneyland, or Disney Cruise Line vacation, we suggest you reach out to Danielle Elliott at Marvelous Mouse Travels. Danielle is a long, uh, lifelong Disney enthusiast, a former Walt Disney World cast member, and a graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge. When you book with her, your booking includes 100% free concierge level services, uh, some of which include customizing the perfect Disney vacation package for your, you and your family and your budget, uh, booking those difficult to secure fast passes and dining reservations, uh, providing tips and tricks to get out the most of your vacation and more. Uh, Danielle also monitors Disney promotions to help you save money for those uh, Disney trip veterans still be in control of all the details. Danielle will take care of all your needs so you can have all the fun and truly say Akuna Matata throughout your time at Disney. Contact her for your free quote at danielle.elliot at marvelousmousetravels, one word, dot com, or by messenger, messen, messaging her on her Facebook page.